What's up, heroes, and welcome to episode 93 of the Producer Life podcast. Today's guest is Mauro Salm, an up-and-coming techno producer from Buenos Aires, Argentina. He's been signed on Christian Smith's Tronic label and has had support from some of the most creative artists in the industry, including Umek, Galia, Joyce Mercedes, and Space 92. Mauro has already charted multiple times on Beatport, including his track Uncensored, which reached number 30 in the Top 100 Global Techno Peak Time Driving Chart, and his latest success with Deep Control, which reached number 6 on the Hype Peak Time Techno, number 22 on the Main Techno Chart, and number 45 on the Global Hype Chart. In this episode, we talk about how DJing first helped him develop quickly as a producer, he offers advice on creating a good techno kick, he talks about mixing tips, avoiding rules, and he blows my mind at how quickly he finishes most tracks. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Mauro, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Hey, Brian, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for the invitation. You're my first producer from Argentina, so I'm excited about this and want to want to hear all about your workflow and your production and uh, venture records, and I think we've got a lot to talk about. We definitely do, bro. Why don't we begin at the beginning? That's always a good place to start. Talk, tell me about uh, how you got your start in electronic music. Okay, so yeah, I got a really funny study for this. Um, I was a little young kid. My fa- my family, my father, my parents, of course, they always listen to these songs from Petro Boys. Um, oh, yeah. Michael, yeah, Michael Jackson, Depeche Mode, uh, Linkin Park, Queen, etc., the big etc. And I got really into the world of music like when I was really young. And then when I was like seven or eight, eight years old, we actually have a really bah, a lot of CDs in my house. And there was this CD from David Guerra. I think it was Blaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely Blaster. And I put it on the on the speakers of my pa- of my father's speakers, and it was really blown by the sound, by the four to the floor rhythm with the sounds, you know, with the vibe that it really it gave to me. And yeah, that was the moment that I fell in love with music, with electronic dance music mainly. I just started with dance music, with Electro House, dance with all that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Hey, did you say David Guetta? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of us, I think, got our introductions to uh, his music, of course, with a lot of his uh, pop crossovers and, and everything. Yeah. Did you have any formal music background or was it just, hey, I've got this love for this type of music and I'm going to figure out how to do it? I mean, if you mean that if I were in a band or something like that, uh, no, no, no. I just started being a DJ. I mean, I have a computer in my house. I just enjoyed music. So I started to download it. I downloaded then a program to to DJ, you know. And yeah, I just started with with those things. And then the time has passed and I have like... Uh, an experience of DJing for like, I don't know, I think 13 or 14 years. I'm just 23 years old. So yeah, it's a really long time. 
And then I started with music production because my friends really were really pushing me to do it because they say, hey, you always come to the studio. You always have cool ideas for my productions. Why don't you start producing your own music? Because, yeah, I have a really bunch of friends that were DJs and producers as well. So, And I was the only one that wasn't producing yet. <laughs> so, yeah, then I started produce, um, this music production journey. And I learned pretty quick, to be honest. So, yeah. Okay. So you were DJing for almost a decade or more than a decade before you ever started producing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's that's interesting. I it seems like most of the people I talk with the majority I would say start off producing and then learn to DJ. How how do you think doing it the other way around, DJing first, um influences your production or does it? I mean, it influences because I really aim for the club vibe, you know, to my tracks, to this club structure. Um, and I think that I learned pretty quick because of this, you know, because of my musical knowledge, let's say. I don't know, because when you're a DJ for a really long time, you really develop an ear, you know? And when I started producing and everything, it's like everything was... It wasn't like this is extraterrestrial language. <laughs> it was plain and clear to me. And then, yeah, I think that my quick development is because I DJed for a lot of time. Or I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't find another reason. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I really know these people that were producing for a really long time. And I don't know. And they... they it's like they couldn't develop themselves that um, that professionally, let's say. I don't know. I'm not saying that I am really professional, you know, but I got releases on really cool labels and I'm so happy for that. You don't know how. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's really interesting for me. I mean, that, that thing is so interesting. The yeah. Time. Cle clearly, yeah. clearly your, your experience DJing has, has, helped you to pick it up quickly were you a techno dj before you were a techno producer or were you kind of more multi-format or what sort of music were you playing now i was like this edm dj i played big room and big room yeah this big room channel that was developed by hardwell mm -hmm. um trans like i mean van buren w and w um will sparks and um, i was actually on the bounce genre too so yeah it was pretty um i didn't say in one genre when i make the sets oh and the progressive house fucking love that genre man <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too me too so, well all right so you started your friends are all pushing you like hey you got to produce you got to produce yeah. um so were your friends using fl studio i understand that's what you use is, is that how you kind of fell into fl studio exactly yeah because of that <laughs> everyone uses um, fl studio and i feel really comfortable with it you know i mean i downloaded ableton i learned how to use it and everything i mean don't get me wrong ableton is amazing i mean the tools that it has by default by factory 
it's unbelievable, but I don't know. I just have my workflow on FL Studio. I didn't feel that inspired in Ableton, you know? I don't know. It's I, I felt so boring. But the processing <laughs> stuff, yeah, the processing stuff uh, that you can make in there, it makes it just so easy, so easy. In FL Studio, you have to make just a bunch more clicks to make the same things on Ableton. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, I just don't feel like it, you know? I just... Like the full studio vibe, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, it, it is clearly working for you. Um, I know your most uh, recent release, Deep Control, has charted charted near the top of hype techno. You were top twenty two for global techno. You know, it's it's really been killing it on the Beatport charts. Can you kind of talk us through that workflow as you approached maybe Deep Control or one of your other favorite songs? Yeah. Okay. So for Deep Control, I really aim for the for this groovy techno vibe. And with some modern touch, as I always intend to do, with my own signature style, let's say. Um, I don't always want my tracks to sound the same. So that's what I did with Deep Control. I just developed this mid-baseline kind of vibe that sounded really original. And then I started with all the other elements, like the, the main synths, the low end and all that funny stuff, you know. But first, I always develop, develop the baseline, the kick of the baseline, that, because that's the main foundation of my tracks. That's the main foundation of my grooves, let's say. So, okay. Is that usually yeah. like an 8-bar loop or 16-bar loop for, for techno? Um, oh, you know what? I, I never think about it. Yeah, because all, all these people always say, yeah, no, because I just make an A bar loop that sounds incredible, and then I develop from there. I mean, I don't even know if it's an eight bar, a sixteen bar, a four bar. And I just make, I just try to make it um, fun, you know. I just don't try okay. to make it boring, let's say. And so let's let's think that yeah, but let's put it this way: I just make an eight bar loop that that sounds fun and has some variation sometimes. Okay. All right. And that's where, that's, you know, you know, when I started, I started producing first and then I went to DJing. And I think one of the things that oh. I started changing in my production was I would be thinking about, well, how do I make this more DJ friendly? You know, cause I'm thinking, all right, yeah. well, where would I mix in? Where would I mix out? And so, you know, yeah. I, I'm like a lot of producers, I try to stick to eight, 16 bar loops because that's kind of what you're expecting if you start going with 21 and a half bar loops, you know, it makes it yeah, hard yeah, to yeah. count. Um, <laughs> Which is which is why I was asking, but all right. So you mentioned before we started talking that you've got a really unique way of processing your kicks. Can you talk about that? And and do you do that first before you start integrating the baseline, or is it is it which comes first, the baseline or the kick? Sounds like a chicken and egg question, but yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, no, I always try to get my kicks sounding really powerful, powerful first because I I would not bear to listen to a pro <laughs> to a project that with a kick that sounds shitty, you know? Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, you will be developing a, a fake project because you will be developing and making the whole body of the project in a kick that is not the final kick, you know? It's um and it's like you will be approaching your project in a really uh, blind way, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. so yeah with my kicks I always try to um, 
it's like I always suck them. But when I suck them, I just don't suck them and that's all. I mean, I just try to make my kicks sound in the same face, let's say. That's a really huge, important and game changer in my kicks and on my music productions. Because I just, yeah. I, I didn't quite understand that. You try to make your kicks save face? Yeah, yeah. Be, being on the same face. You know, these face issues when oh phase 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 sorry yep yeah yep. I, what i was trying to hear there um I, I'm, i've been a member of producer dojo which is ill gates sort of bass music production group and he talks about the face of a song which is kind of mm. his way of saying the melody or the hook or whatever identifying you know th- this is like the core thing that identifies the song and so ah. that's what i thought you were saying but you you're talking about phase issues you're making sure the whole kick is in phase yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, everything um, being on the same place, on the same spot. Every envelope of the kick being on the same place, on the same spot, and that will make your kick let just bump out from your speakers like a bitch. But really, okay. So you're talking about like you're layering your kick, multiple different layers, and you're making sure that each of the layers is in phase. Yeah, it's in phase and really covering some frequencies that the previous sample didn't have, you know, so it makes sense to layer it. Okay, so how how are you doing that? Are you just kind of zooming way in and looking to make sure that each of, you know, when you're, exactly. when the waveform is going up, it's going up on all of them? Exactly. Just, okay, yeah, that, that makes take, sense. It, yeah, it takes a lot of time, but it's so worth it. When you listen to... The before and after because don't, don't get me wrong i mean you can stack a really b- a bunch of kicks and they will sound good decent let's say but when you do this job i mean i don't know the, the pandora box just opens and you say oh my god i was fooled all this time <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah okay. no, no. and then you're also you mentioned that different parts of the kick are taking up different areas of the free frequency spectrum so you're you're using eq to have a low mid and high kick plus a click or how many layers do you typically do or is there an average let's say that um the eq is just for minor corrections when you pick a sample it really has to sound really good at first you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. when you stack it when you stack the layers and everything because if you have to EQ it just to really match the layer, it's because that's not the sample, bro. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I really try to focus. You know when? Because there's always this sample kick that has this mid, mid, low kind of frequencies that make that makes that bump in the kicks that sometimes mm-hmm. all the other kicks don't have it. So you can have this low kick. Then this bump sort of kick that helps with a punch, with a mid-low punch. And then the the top kick, if it's needed. If it's not needed, fuck it. You don't need it. Because, yeah, it's really track-dependent, you know? Okay. Are, so you, you talked about picking the right sample. How Do you have a particular way of organizing your sample library? Or do you have a favorite place that you go, like Splice or Loop Cloud? Or where, where are you getting a lot of your samples from? No, just from sample packs, really cool sample packs. I don't know, Sennheiser. Um, oh my God, I don't remember the name of the other ones, but this Riemann collection, 
this Riemann Techno Collection, those kicks sound so good naturally. You just, I, I, you don't even have to stack it sometimes. It's really crazy. Those samples are so good. And one other thing that I wanted to say about the kicks is the, I mean, your kicks just have to kick. I mean, let's put it this way. Some people on internet, they always say that you have to tune your kick to the to your drive. The kick is the main key of your drive, blah, blah, blah. I mean, sort of, that's sort of true and sort of not because the kick just have to kick, you know? The kick just have to do that thing and that's all. You know what I mean? Because if you have a really long ass kick that has this tone, I don't know, G, for example, mm-hmm. and then you want to make a bass, you can uh, you can make the side chain, you can make all that funny stuff to make it sound groovier and make it sound in place and to not clash with the kick. But if you have this long ass tail kick with that really bassy sound, your track will sound horrible and will sound amateur. And it's not an opinion. That's a fact because it will kill all the lows on your track. And in the club, your track will sound like all your lows will sound like that, you know? So yeah, the kick just have to, and then let, let the bass, let the bass line, the subline do their job, you know? So you, you're, you're talking, you, you like punchier kicks. Do you ever, I'm trying to think mm. about the tracks I listened to that um, you've done. Do you ever do the sort of grungy techno rumble kicks? Because that, that frequently gives it a pretty long tail. Yes, that, that's a really nice question. I mean, I have rumbly techno tracks that those are ones of my first production, actually. Um, what I didn't care that much about the low end because the rum, I mean, Kick and Rumble was the thing in the past year, let's say. So, yep. yeah, but I just try to develop this style where I have this Rumble feeling in the 0, zero hertz to the 60 hertz. Keep the Rumble feeling in there and then supply it with a baseline from the 60 or 100 hertz to 500 hertz. And that really keeps the track moving a lot. I mean, and it, it feels so full to my ears, in my opinion. It's it, it sounds just so good. And the kick just, as I said, a short kick that is punchy because, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you, you need, really need these sub frequencies on your kick, but you don't need that really big kick that, that, that say that boom, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Um, You're not going yeah. for an 808 sound? No, <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> no, okay. but yeah, I mean, this Rumble Techno, don't get me wrong, it's really good. You just, if you put it on the certain frequencies that makes the sound, I mean, you, you can have a really clean track with a Rumble uh, kick. For example, this Julian Jewel tracks with, the, with that big Rumble, and it sounds so clean, you know? So yeah, it's replacing the rumble on the same but on the specific frequencies that makes it sound so good and present okay so is that kind of how deep control started with with just a kick actually yeah yeah deep control started with a kick and then the baseline the whole baseline vibe um but deep control don't have a rumble no 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 it doesn't no 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 
you don't have a rumble. So how did you, was the baseline something you, are, are you doing mouse and keyboard or are you doing, um, uh, how are you writing your baseline? That one was mouse and keyboard, but lately I'm using this synthesizer. That is my favorite one so far. I'm I'm so in love with it. It's the Yuhi Repro One. I think it was the one. Let me check. I'm opening Level Studio right now. Okay. Because you know it's the Repro One and Repro Five. I just want to make sure I get the real name because this synthesizer has this sequence on it that is so so good and powerful and the sounds sound so clean and so deep like a really analog synthesizer you know and yes it was hmm. the it is the you hear repro one no no the, the presets are so good brian you don't know spell, spell that for me yohi y-o-h-e yeah why uh yohi U H E Repro One. Okay, I will. I've got it pulled out here. I will have to check that out. Okay, so good analog sound. You use that for a lot of your your mid basses or, or bass lines in general. What? Sorry, excuse me. I, I just got distracted. Oh no problem. So you're using Repro One for a lot of your synth bass lines. Yeah, exactly. The bass lines and the sub lines. I really always separate them. I don't make the baseline get the sub frequencies. I just make dedicated things. Let's say I really separate them always. Okay. Are they are they frequently playing? I know it's hard to characterize across songs, but are they frequently playing the same notes or do you have them playing sort of, is the sub bass maybe something simpler and the mid bass more syncopated or, or are you just taking the same notes and playing them at different frequencies with different instruments? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. That's a really good question because it sometimes gets complicated when you want to make a rhythm for the subline and a rhythm for the baseline because they're almost basically on the same frequency spot, but they are not at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense at all. But yes, you can have a really rolling baseline that makes and then a subline that makes the basic, the basically pumping subline. But I don't know if uh, if that will sound really good. It really depends on the track. It's track dependent. You can have a syncopated subline with a uh, normal baseline. So it's really track dependent. You, you can have it. It's it will sound good. It will maybe sound good on one track, but it will sound horrible on the other track. It's yeah. That's what the music has. It's you have. Inf- I mean, a lot of possibilities. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I love about music production and all the. Yeah. Sometimes you just throw in random plugins, and uh, one of the things that Ableton introduced in Ableton Live Nine is or Eleven, you can uh, click randomize on just about everything, and so sometimes it's fun to just mash randomize a couple of times and see what sort of sounds come out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, what about um, what would you say are the other? You've got your kick and your bass. What are the other critical elements for a techno track? The subline, definitely. The sub is the main thing on your technical track. It's the main thing. You have to perfection it first. All the other things doesn't matter because they are easy, but the subline is, I don't know, it's all the, or your bones on your body. That's the subline. Then the other things, okay, all right. I mean, they, they, they can you can work with them, sort it out, but and you can hear them pretty clear, but the subline... 
boy. Okay. And you're tra- so if you're using a punchy kick and you're trying to keep your subs out of the way of your kick cuz you you're not using a lot of side chain compression. So you basically got three quarter notes that you yeah. can write your subline and are you are you writing in 16th notes frequently or uh, I mean how many notes are you trying to cram into that that little that little space? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, since we are on the four to the floor rhythm and music and EDM music, you really need that side chain effect. I mean, I use it. I use the LFO tool for side chaining. I just don't pay that much attention on side chaining because I really make a really good relationship with the sub and the kick at first, removing all those um, unnecessary long ass sabby tails from the kick with LFO tool as well because you can shape all your sounds in there too you know I mean it's you can use it for a really for a lot of things LFO tool is a really powerful tool man yeah I'm a big fan Sam Smith talked about LFO tool also I, I use that a lot so I guess that's a good question speaking of LFO tool are there other plugins that you find yourself reaching for regularly in your techno production uh, oh yeah the book tech um this waves quick tech uh eqp1a i'm not familiar with that oh it's a really it's so beautiful that it's quick tech eqp1a hmm okay it's this, yeah it's this jack joseph brick collection of waves it's so good and then some tape emulations from waves as well like the abbey road vinyl stereo the the G thirty seven stereo, the Kramer tape, um, and I really love to make. I mean, if we are keep talking about side chain, the external side chain is, I mean, when you you're at one level when you know about side chain, but you're on a really completely different level when you reach out to this external side chain thing. It's so beautiful when you can comp- when you compress when you send a sound, well, when you side chain a sound to another sound, and then you side chain those frequencies just to don't make the sounds sound on the same frequencies that clash at the same frequencies and make your sound. I make your track sound uh, poor. Let's say, I mean, that's a really new level. Okay, you're you're using sidechain to have different frequencies, whatever you want to stand out, ducking other elements within the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. definitely a really, yeah, that's a gold standard thing to do. Yeah. Do you is there a something that you're using in FL Studio stock that you use for that, or do you have a plugin that you like to use to? duck frequency like if you had a vocal you know not having that conflict with pianos or strings not not that you have a lot of those in techno but yeah what what are you using to duck yeah to duck with vocals i use the distract spacer Mm -hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with it it's really well known yep i I, a friend of mine bathometrics in the producer dojo turned me on about some years ago and i really like it yeah, yeah, it's so good and so easy, you know. <laughs> I yep. love it so much. And then yep. with the specific frequencies we, when you can really deal with the cue band, with the release, with attack, and everything, and make it really, really picky, I use the F6 RTA Stereo by Waves. Okay. It's so good. 
I mean, because you can have you can work with the threshold, with the range, with the Q factor, with the attack and release of this side chain. It's, I mean, you can be so precise with it. So it's so good. I use it on all of my projects. I really use it to. I mean, I make this side chain with my kick. If I want my kick to really stand out of the on the mix, I don't just sidechain it with the LFO. Let's say that I sidechain it externally with this F six RTA from Waves. It's so good. It's so good. It just attenuates the the main frequencies of the kick. You know when it's more um, present on certain mm-hmm. frequencies. So yeah, you said you sidechain it with all your high elements, like I don't know, all your cymbals, your hi hats, your clap, your whatever you have on all the all your track body let's say okay so everything is is getting side chained to that kick so you, you get some yeah, of that even the synths yeah even the synths okay uh, vocals too uh, good, that's a good question um probably vocals too i didn't feel the need to do it actually Okay, I, I was just curious, but I, that 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 yeah. is interesting. So you're not just side chaining like your mid frequencies. You're you're doing everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the way you can make your kick really stand out way more. Because you can make your kick really stand out by volume, but but making space frequency speaking for the kick is really a top notch way to do it. It's it's uh, it sounds just more clear, more more present. I don't know. It sounds it just sounds so good. Okay, and then are you so so? Those are sort of your biggest elements. You said the other stuff is kind of kind of easy to do. The hats and the other elements. Um, do you mix and master everything yourself, or do you send it out? Yes, I always try to do everything myself. If I would have more money, I would send it to a really professional mix engineer, master engineer. But you know that those ones really charge a lot, a lot of money. So, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I got you. Um, I, I, I did the uh, Dead Mouse Masterclass a while back, and and it was interesting because Joel talked about wanting to mix and master all his tracks as well. And I don't know if he still does or if, if you know, certainly he's got enough money at this point, he could hire somebody to do it for him. But he talked about wanting to do it from an artistic standpoint, because then more of that track sound is his, you know, yeah. it is not only the sound choices that he made and the EQ choices that he made, but it's also the, you know, this is the element I wanted to emphasize at this point in this track. And so I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree yeah. more, man. It's this Joel with his with his genius mind. Yes, I mean, definitely. When when I mix my tracks, I always try to make this star of the game, like this Messi, Lionel Messi of the team. You know, mm-hmm. I really try to yeah find well. Let, let's put it this way: we have the whole project, right? I mean, we have the track with the synthesizers and everything, and then you say, okay, what is the main element that really stands out from all the other elements like you know and i say okay okay so this synth that i will make this synth sound really powerful really big really stereo really loud and will make it stand out from the others and that's why where you get let's say your personal touch because i really try to make some elements sound really really huge and stand out way more than other elements 
And that's a really, let's say, a signature or a personal artistic way to do it. Like Joel said, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And the, yeah. I mean, man, did you see Joel's studio? I mean, that man can mix everything from there, man. Yeah, he's so he's sick. got a, an amazing <laughs> setup. Yeah, yep, he does. Um, in fact, he's got. I was I was listening to some other interview, and he's got his because he lives out in this remote part of the country. He's even got his own like Wi-Fi. internet satellite yeah. downlink because yeah, yeah. he needs. So pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a really funny story for that because it's because he lost a Diablo account because of that. He was playing, I don't know if he was fighting with a boss and then the internet connection got lost and then he lost his character forever. I mean, when you die in that game, you lost your character. He lost his character because of internet. I mean... <laughs> wow, I assumed it was because of the music production or live stream, but it was, Dia- I mean, I guess that makes sense. He's big into gaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, th- that's the story that I got. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I really think it was because of that. But no, no, no it's so crazy. Yeah, that would not would not surprise me. So, okay, so you're so talk to me a little bit about how you mix your techno tracks. Are you putting your kicks at negative six decibels, and or do you have a average number that you start at? I, I assume you're mixing everything around your kick since that's your core element. Yeah, yeah, let's say so that I really start with my kick at nine decibels. It's like I don't follow any rules. Let's say I don't have any rules. I don't put any rules myself because I, in my opinion, I think that that will um, limit my creativity, let's say. Uh So, you know, I just sometimes start a project with a maximum of of 6 dB. I mean, the whole track will sound at 6 dB and sometimes my whole track will sound at 3 dB or 2 dB or sometimes 0 dB, like a master. I mean, it doesn't matter that much um, because you can always lower the volume on the master or the or the mix bus and it will be the same. It's actually the same. Um, I would always recommend everyone to mix on really low volume, of course. But about this mixing thing, I always compare my tracks to other tracks. But I used to compare my tracks to other tracks to check the the mix and how my track sounds compared to the other ones. So yeah, just to get the balancing the levels really right and make make your track really sound professional, let's say. But I don't know, I just develop this sort of ear, let's say. And I can happily say that I can mix my tracks without hearing any other songs or whatever. I mean, it's like I'm just so picky, you know, and I have a really, Mm. I have a flaw on music production that I'm a perfectionist, let's say, and you don't have to be a perfectionist with your music. So, yeah, I'm a sucker with that, but whatever, man, it really works out for me. (laughs) It it does. So how, so being a perfectionist and doing all your own mixing and mastering, how long does it typically take you to finish a track? Oh, you know what? I think that the last one actually took me 14 hours. What? <laughs> yeah. 14 hours start to finish. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, uh, or 11, sometimes sometimes nine hours. Yeah, I, got, I, I finished the track in nine hours too. Yeah. All right. You just kind of blew my mind because, you know, I, <laughs> I have a track that I'm working on that I really like that I started two days ago and I, I've probably put in... 10 or 12 hours and it's 
it's got a good arrangement. It's starting to sound good, but I'm pretty sure it's going to take me another week or two to finish it. So are are you starting off with a template and certain sounds that you use in most of your tracks or how are you doing that so quickly? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I, I try not to repeat the sounds that I already used because sometimes, but no, sometimes not always, when you want to mix it, that same track on the same set at the same time, the samples will clash and your track will sound just shit, you know, if you use the same kick and same hi-hat. No, not if you use the same subline because those will never sound at the same time in the, in the club, you know, but... um. Just let me think about it. I mean, I I don't know. I just start with <laughs> with a good sounding kick that I don't know that will really last like an hour, and then another hour or sometimes twenty minutes, thirty minutes. It really depends on really get a really good sounding baseline. And when I have those foundations sounding really professional, really top notch, I just start with the uh, with all the other elements, and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And and are you kind of adding them all to that eight bar loop and then just kind of spreading it out and having, adding some automation to keep it interesting and that's yeah. your track? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I just started with a eight bar and then sometimes I extended to a 16 bar making variations. As I told you, it's like, I don't, I don't even think about the bars. I just think about the whole track thing, let's say hmm. about the, the big picture of the track. Um, okay. I always start, sometimes I start with a build-up or sometimes I just start with um, with a drop. But sometimes, no, I almost always start with a drop without a build-up or anything. And then I just start build-up, um, but start um, doing everything else. I mean, when you have the drop, you already have the intro and the outro. I mean, it, that's it's automatically it because it's the in and the out. Some It sometimes the drop but without with a lot of less elements on it and yeah the build-up is one of the scenes that i use that i really want to make my build-ups really hypey you know so i use some um delays with this main synth and repeating itself and making some uplifters and i mean yeah it just it just builds by itself so I sometimes, I don't know, I just found myself producing the song and I'm not here. I'm really like into the song. But if you talk to me, if I'm producing and you talk to me, I wouldn't give a fuck or I will say, hey, get the fuck out of here <laughs> because I'm really working on it. I'm so focused on it. I really get into it. So yeah. You're, you're in the zone. Yeah, yeah, I'm in my zone. and But yeah, that's the best state that I can be because sometimes I start to think I start but my own persona try to or say, hey, I don't know if this sound sound good or whatever. And that's when you're making a mistake. You know, you don't you just don't have to think you have to let it flow because everything just come from above, let's say, and you have to really let it flow. Yeah, I had a guest or maybe it was something I read a while back about how the most successful musicians are the ones that can kind of maximize the amount of time they spend in that flow state. And it sounds like maybe that has a lot to do with how quickly you're producing stuff is that you're, you're staying in that flow state for a long period of time. And it just, you know, yeah, maybe four or five hours a day. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's awesome. That, that is fantastic. That, 
makes makes some sense. The production is is only part of what you do. I understand you're also a co-owner of a record label. Yes, Venture Records is one of the projects that my really close friends, Kevin Van Recken, started here in Buenos Aires. And yeah, he invited me to be part of it. We got a really nice dinner, talked about this whole thing, how we plan to execute it. Um, yes, we started this project, if I don't remember well, in 2019. And yeah, then we started this radio show where I interviewed the the uh, um, the DJs and producers that we invited to the program where I master the tracks and then he's all um he, his job is to well sometimes seek for new producers um for he's with um with I mean he's all with the technical stuff you know with Proton and all those things we just signed our label to Proton so in Proton is your Proton is your distributor right will be now our distributor because we were la- we were working with Laborworks and uh, before them but okay. now in yeah in just January 2022 we'll start working with Proton that has a really really nice system of working and yeah we will start releasing again on 2022 I will try to start with this podcast with this venture podcast series again uh, yeah the the future for venture records is really good. I the thing is that, in my opinion, I just started to work on a label way too soon because I really want to release my songs on really top notch labels that I'm really that I really try to reach. Um, I have a lot of goals. Let's say that I have to fulfill yet, and then I will tr- uh, I will start to focus on that label and release all my songs in there just to attract people you know because if, okay. yeah because i think that if you have a, i don't know a lot of tracks released on really top-notch labels and your tracks are really good that will attract people to sign on your label i that's how i think about it i don't know if it makes sense at all <laughs> no that, do, that does make sense so you would kind of be the um sort of the you would draw the attention to your label but so why did you decide to launch a label so early in your career? I mean, you've been producing for about two years and you, you've had um, mm. pretty good success on Beatport, but why why a record label now? Why not wait till you're touring internationally and tearing up the clubs? It's because um, it's like having this label did, I mean... It adds up. It it just don't don't rest on my career. I don't know if I, if it makes sense. Having it, um, it's something good. Not having it, um, let let's put it this way. I have this record label that I co-own. I'm not the main owner. Let's say the main owner is Kevin. Um, it's good to have it there. It's like a really good friend, you know. Let's say that you have a lot of friends. Let's put it this way. Okay. There's always this friend that you say, hey, it's really good to have him. But if you don't have it, it's like you're, um, you don't have another friend, let's say. I don't know if it makes sense at all. I, I don't know. Are you, are you saying like from the perspective of 
maybe financially that that gives you another avenue where you know you've got a potential potential income stream through the record label or is this more um i don't know i would think being a record label owner also may add some credibility to you as a musician that you're really serious about it when you talk to promoters hey i'm not only a dj and producer i also own a record label that that sort of would say to me that hey this guy's really serious about the music business um let's say that i i put that focus on my on my releases about having a label it's like having a record label does um i mean don't detract to my career it really adds to it so having it it's something that will add to my career let's say i'm mainly not focusing 100% on this label because i'm really focusing 100% on my on my personal um on my personal product on Mauro song let's say i'm not saying that i'm not putting attention to my label because i really do and all the earnings that we earn from the label that it's not a lot to be honest and we reinverted into the label okay so, so it's you you've started it it's good to have and you plan to build it over time yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe in okay. 2022 I will focus a lot a lot more on this label. But yeah, it's because you know, I I produce track really fast, but when I want to, when when it's born naturally, I don't try to force it. So making tracks is not that easy for me, let's say, because it really I really need um I really need to crave for produce a track. You know what I mean? It's like I know I don't sit there in the studio and they say, "Hey, you ch you have to have to produce a track because of this, because of that." I say, "No, no, no. I mean, I produce a track because I want to." Let's say, and, and yeah. it's how I feel. Let's say. Yeah, I get I get frustrated if I can't get into the studio regularly and and work on yeah. music. It's, that's yeah, my happy place. Yeah, I mean, um, that, that's the other thing of being an artist or a DJ producer, you know, the downwards and upwards. I mean, it's so complicated, you know, the all this mental health thing, these all these, and also all these, oh, how can I say it in English? You can help me, bro. Um, <laughs> your, your English is far better than my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. No, no, I don't remember the word actually. Um, okay, trying trying to manage the mental health aspect of being a producer. Yeah, because I mean, you can feel depressed really quick, and you can feel happy really quick as well. So it's a really ambiguous and complicated world. This whole world, because you can sometimes have the support of your family, of your friends, and everything, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not enough. I mean. At least for me, you know, I can sometimes feel really proud, really happy. And at the next day, I will maybe feel like shit because I couldn't uh, do something productive with music. I don't know if it happens to you being a producer. Yeah, I, I think every creative type goes through dry spells where you're, um, you know, nothing is sounding quite right. And sometimes you don't even feel like getting into the studio, you know. Yeah, I think everybody goes through that tomorrow. Yeah, and you really feel like shit, you know, because yeah, I mean, it's not cool. It, it's it's just not cool. But you know, of course, it's 
I'm happy to say that I have more happy moments than sad moments, let's say. So yeah, I mean, I really, I really love this whole journey. Yeah, Sam, um, Sam Wolf, uh, who I interviewed a couple of weeks back. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, he he said something interesting. He's got a full time job, and he commented about how he likes not feeling like he has to make music. You know, if he if if his income was dependent on making music, it would take some of the joy out of it for him. Um, as opposed to right now, it's just he loves doing it, but he doesn't have to do it in order to pay his bills. You know, yeah, that. So, he, he don't rely on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, his relationship with his music is, is a little different. You know, it's, um, he's not dependent on it and it's just something that he is truly passionate about, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I actually couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, um, let's talk for just a minute. What, obviously you've had some big success on Beatport. What, what do you do once you finish a track? You know, you, I guess you start reaching out to labels. Talk to me about the release process that you use for your tracks. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, and it really depends on the style that I want to reach to my track. I mean, I when I start a project, I have I say, okay, to which label will this track work? Um, and then I really build up everything around it. Um, if I make a really groovy, modern sounded track, I will say, hey, okay, this track will maybe work for Octopus. And then I, sometimes I have friends, or sometimes I will send a message to the label on Instagram. They will always, they will sometimes answer. They will almost always not answer. <laughs> so yeah, you gotta look for it, and that's where the networking's really help because you maybe have friends that already released on that label, and you ask them, hey, do you have the email, the demo email to this label? And they say. Yes, bro, or no, bro. You know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, yeah, they will be cool or not cool enough. So, yeah, or you can really reach out to these A and R's people that are specifically working on that label, and then you reach out to them. So, yeah, it's like always it's networking, you know, it's networking. Or I think that there's a page called Labels Database or something like that where you can really find the, the emails of some labels, but some emails or almost every email of that page is really outdated. Okay. So you, is that true with most of your tracks where you've got a, a, a target label in mind before you even start producing the track? Or is that something that comes later in the process after you kind of, I know with my own tracks, sometimes I don't, I'll have a sense of all right, I want to make kind of a housey track, but I really don't have any idea what it's going to sound like until I get that first eight bar loop done. It kind of just takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Or are you producing with a specific label in mind? Um it's like it's like a mixture of both. I have these labels in my mind. Let's say, I don't know, respect, octopus, terminal. Yeah, those three labels on mind. And then it's I start uh, producing a track and, uh, and then I think okay this track could work for this one or this one or this one I don't know let's say that when I have the 50% of my track then I start thinking okay to what directions what direction do I have to aim it to reach to this label 
Okay, that makes sense. I, I guess uh, last couple of questions where, you know, you've talked about the sort of long-term uh, emphasis you're going to put into venture records. And obviously you've got a, a lot of plans for your music. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, wow. That, that cliche question. I always hated it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, all right. We can go shorter term. We can go. What, what's your plan for <laughs> oh, next God. year? If you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I don't know. I, I, I sort of got, I don't know, man. I don't know what, what I will be on 10 years, but I really hope to be like on a really, huge festival and have my own fucking house for once in my life you know but okay. now yeah i mean in the next years next year coming i mean this 2022 i really i'm really aiming and seeing myself on terminal i don't know why i'm i'm just seeing myself there you know okay and so that's that's your big reach label yeah yeah of course yeah i mean yeah it's terminal bro <laughs> <laughs> And, okay. So and yeah, I know, and I'm actually having this summer tour for 2022 as well, and I really want to travel to really cool and beautiful countries in the world. Um, yeah, man. Which uh, which countries are you planning the tour, and how how are you planning that tour? I have a manager called Aldo Fontana. Shout out to him; he's a really beautiful person. He's arranging um, some some of my possible tours. He's sending the emails and everything. It's like, I mean, it's a mixture of his contacts and my contacts because when you network with a lot of people in the scene, you then end up talking with people that has contacts, that is living in other countries and that can make you play on gigs in there, you know? So it's always really, really good to talk with a lot of people, you know. Um, I have a friend in Uruguay called Hector Cardenas. He's actually a DJ, a techno DJ producer as well. His tracks are fucking sick. You should really check it out. I mean, you probably know some of his tracks because they have. He has a really cool release on Renaissance, where he has these tracks called Bass and Passion that are really good and it got a lot of support actually um he's opening he's opening a club on uruguay on montevideo hmm. uh, yeah then bruce salser i think that you know him he's from panama and he's opening a production event kind of thing so yeah i mean and then you can have your other bodies on other countries that may work for event producers as well or anything. But yeah, I mean, the tour will be on if everything ends up well and they can arrange everything. I really hope so. It will start on Buenos Aires to Uruguay to Chile to Mexico to Panama, maybe United States, maybe Colombia. So, yeah, I mean, we are really working on that, but it really takes time, you know? Yeah, that sounds exciting. Are, are you picking these countries based on where you have contacts or are you like looking yeah. at your Spotify dashboard and seeing where you've got a lot of listeners or how are you picking the countries? You know what? I don't, I personally, I'm, I know I'm going to make you a question myself, I think, because I don't know if the Spotify dashboard countries will really help you to get played or get a contact on some other countries. I actually don't know if that could work, but if that works, I'm really excited about it. 
I, I have heard other other artists recommend and, and you know, you'd have to have more streams than I have, but you know, being able so to many. go to, <laughs> go to promoters and say, Hey, I've got, you know, ten thousand monthly streams in your city that adds some weight to, Hey, I want to come and I'm likely to have some people show up because if you're using something like, um, I think it's song kick, for example, that's what's integrated with Spotify. It will notify your listeners. If you, you have a, um, event coming up in their, in their area. Really? Wow. So if you, yeah, if you've got a lot of people on Spotify, song kick is a good way to reach out to them because you can publish your, uh, upcoming tour there. Soundkick. Okay, I mean Song that, that sounds really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like I've I've used both Songkick and and Bands in Town. Bands in Town is another platform that allows you to publish tour dates, and it integrates well with WordPress sites and Facebook pages. Songkick, unfortunately, is the only one that I'm aware of that integrates with Spotify. Hmm. Um, so again, it kind of kind of depends on where you're where you think your listeners are. But I know you've got. 10,000 plus monthly listeners on Spotify. So, you know, keeping an eye on your Spotify dashboard and then maybe looking at using Songkick might might be helpful. Okay, that yeah, I mean, that's pretty sick. That that's really good to know. And about uh th thank you for the data actually. And for your question, I mean, yes, it sometimes always depends on the context because let's put it this way, if you don't have an events producer right there that you know of or if I, if you have a friend that may knows that may have friends that work on this event producer events, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if you can reach out or get a gig in there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it. Um, it seems like people get gigs in all sorts of interesting ways. I've, uh, you know, Sam was <laughs> Sam is on my mind because he was my last interview. You know, yeah. he has people to reach out to him on Instagram because he's very responsive and active on Instagram. I've. You know, yeah. I've had other other people that get gigs from. I mean, some of the producers that I've had on here don't gig, and they make all their money from, you know, their Patreon account, and you know, it's just you got to find your way. So, yes, it's it's exactly like that. I mean, you got to find your way. You got to make your own way. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, a lot, lot of different ways you can make money in the music business. None of them are particularly easy, but. <laughs> okay that, that's the thing it's not easy man it's not for everyone yeah yeah it's it, it's uh definitely a labor of love so so that's that's awesome good luck with the tour this summer um and then what about releases have you got some uh, upcoming releases planned yes i actually have a mini album let's say or five tracks six tracks cp on a release this coming next year that that will be really huge i mean my best tracks are in there I mean, tip control is nothing compared to these really coming tracks that I'm so happy to release on there. I mean, they work just so good. They are a really amazing person. I mean, shout out to Mario, to Ramsey, and to Audiomatix as well. I mean, they are all so beautiful souls, and they really put a lot of effort and work on it. Um yeah. So a lot of collaborations on that um, it, it, no, EP no, or mini no. album? All, all original mix. Original mixes. Just more or so, oh. let's say. No, no collaborations. Yeah, I'm actually surprised as well because of that. Oh, I just have one collaboration, let's say, or a featuring where I wrote the lyrics of a song. And then I have a, a really cool singer 
singing, well, the lyrics that I wrote and the way I wanted her to sing it. I mean, I'm really perfectionist, you know, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sick with that, but yeah. And she performed it the way I have it on my mind and, I, and it just blew my mind. It's so good. <laughs> okay, so that's one of the tracks that's coming out uh, on this EP. Yeah, yeah, it's EP. I sell me album because it's a five or six track EP. So, yeah, I mean, we can consider it a mini album. So, are you timing that release to come out like right before the tour so you can promote it on the tour? Um, I actually don't have the release date yet. I mean, I really have to put it. I mean, I cannot, I cannot decide for the label. Unfortunately. These are really oh, okay. top-notch labels that they say they they want to release the track when they want or when they have this the free schedule to do it. You know, it's a really got it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really difficult. Um, yeah, got it. I've he- I've heard some complaints from other artists about that. That you know, you send in a great song and then oh, we can get to it in about eight months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true story, bro. <laughs> yep, yep. No, All right. It, well, I actually, yeah, I mean, I got released the control. Um, two months yeah no one even one month yeah i mean oh that's not bad at all yeah no 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 no. they got a release pretty quick actually okay and what label was that i release okay Okay. well mauro thank you so much for your time this has been a, a great conversation and i i love all of the uh detailed technical knowledge that you shared and uh sounds like a really exciting tour this summer and sounds like you've got some great things going on down there yeah, yeah, I will have this mini tour, let's say, on Marvel Plata and then Montevideo. Those are the um, the gigs that are confirmed for 2022. It will be this January 6th on Marvel Plata, this January 22 on Montevideo on this club of my friend Hector Cardenas. If you have time, check him out. He's so cool. He's a really amazing producer, an amazing person as well. And then I have a second... Um, gig on Marvel Plata as well on January 27. So yeah, and then February is full of surprises. Wow, that's that's great. You already got your uh, January booked up. Terrific. Well, yeah, man. Um, I wish you good luck next year and uh, thank you so much for your time. Nah, thanks to you. Shout out to everyone that is listening to this interview. I love you so much. Nah, and thanks to you, Brian, for the invitation, man. And shout out to Sam's, Sam Wolf too. So yeah. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll have links to Mauro's music and the plugins he mentioned over on the show notes page. Just visit producerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 93. While you're poking around on the website, it would be awesome if you shared this or any other episode on your social media. Don't forget to tag me. You can find me almost anywhere at House Ninja Music, one word. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. 